Today's episode is brought to you by Global Specialized Safety Incorporated. You can find them at globalssinc.com. That's globalssinc.com for all of your safety needs. Safe by choice, not by chance. Global Specialized Safety is veteran-owned and operated. Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one, cue music. And we are rolling with an episode I've been looking forward to greatly. Today on the show, we have the co-author of The Better Brain. And she has a story to to tell. This whole space, this whole world of mental health and mental health practitioners has got a long way to go. But changes are happening, and we're going to be talking about those changes, where we were, where we are now, and where we need to be. Dr. Kaplan, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And now you'll call me Bonnie. That's and right. I'll call you Mark. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I uh, was listening to a, a lady who uh, had her PhD, and she says, "Isn't it funny how all the women with PhDs they call them Doctor Bonnie, like Doctor than the first name, but if it's a man, uh, they'll use the last name, which seems more respectful." Have you experienced that? No, I just <laughs> tell people drop the doctor. Just drop the doctor. I was yeah, given, just call uh, me by my name. That's who I am. I've had a lot of doctors on this show, sure. and uh, I always give them a hard time. I didn't go to school for seven years to be called Mister. I've met those oh. ones too. <laughs> They're oh. kind of funny. I get a seven kick out of them, mm, okay. or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is, a little more than that. Yeah. Well, um, what an incredible book that uh, you and Julia Rucklidge have written, the importance of it, the timeliness of it. I do believe that we are in a time that I call the Great Awakening, where people are, are realizing that just because the government says so, or just because it's on the news, doesn't mean it's so, doesn't mean it's true, and Here's the book right here, and of course it's on the background as well. For our audio listeners, they can't see what I'm holding up, but the book is The Better Brain. Um, I've started reading it, and it is an easy read. It is not a dry read. It is extremely well written, and uh, I can't wait to get the rest of the way through it. I've I've gotten through the first 20 pages or so, so far. But Bonnie, um, you are Galileo right right now. (laughs) I don't look like him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's roll that back the clock. And Hmm. when did you first cross the Rubicon from conventional psychomedicine to nutrition? When did that happen? Well, it's important for your audience to know that I have never been a clinician. So um, when you say psychomedicine, I don't quite know what that conjures up to other people. But what it conjures up to me is 
treating people. But um, I, I really, I trained in the area of physiological psychology and then neurophysiology, and I always had an interest in the biochemical basis of behavior and was always drawn to, if I had to write it, even as a student, if I had to write a term paper on learning and memory, I was writing a paper on messenger RNA and, and uh, worm studies and memory. <laughs> I mean, it was just what drew me, okay? And so I'm self-taught in a bit of biochemistry. I'm not an expert in that area. But if you know anything about neurophysiology and biochemistry in terms of brain function, you get into... Um, nutrition. I mean, because nutrition is critical for brain pathways. That's what the public hasn't been taught. So I guess my answer to your question is since the 1970s, <laughs> I've so, been interested in this. So yeah. right out of the gate. Now, yeah. Uh, you started publishing studies quite some time ago, 20 years ago, and you were uh, a voice in the wilderness, if you will, uh, when you were doing so. Tell me about the resistance that you're receiving from um, from publishing the, the the studies of the benefits of, of nutrition. It w- it was pretty horrendous. We don't actually give you much detail at all in the book because our publishers, when I gave them a little summary that I have, um, the publisher said this is too negative. <laughs> so my editor said, "Let's keep this book upbeat. Just mention that you had some difficulties." But the reality is that um, the pharmaceutical companies in Health Canada considered vitamins and minerals to be dangerous. And the physicians who uh, unfortunately don't learn about what nutrients do in the brain also considered it to be magic. So I was between dangerous and magic. And then um, because I was studying formulas that were made by other people, because I don't know what people expected me to do to become a a natural health product manufacturer. I, I'm a scientist, right? I wasn't going to do that. And I was um, testing ideas that came from people who developed a company. And so I was accused of working for the company. And again, I'd like your listeners to know that um, I have never worked for any company. I have never let any company ever fund any of my research. And that's true of my co-author too, Julia Rutledge. So, but we, we were accused of all kinds of things. We were charged with unethical behavior, always exonerated, but it, it was very tough. Was your medical license, um, well, actually, do you, you don't have a medical license. You're I, a scientist. I do not. Um, my medical, so there's no medical license to right. revoke, but my research program was shut down for almost five years, right in the middle of the, mo- the peak part of my career. I had to put my graduate students onto other topics, couldn't let them study nutrition. It was just ridiculous, you know, and that wasn't done by my university. That was done by Health Canada. So, interesting. Health Canada that uh, is telling you that vitamin D is a conspiracy theory. That was, um, that w- that was just said in Parliament uh, in, um, two weeks ago. By whom? By a Liberal MP. A Conservative MP stood up and talked about the benefits of um, vitamin D and health. And, uh, and that was, and said, well, we're not listening to conspiracy theories here by our hmm. Liberal government. I don't get it. How can a vitamin be a conspiracy theory? A vitamin, it's just, you know what, it reminds me of something that happened. May I tell you a little story? Please. 
Um, so I was studying uh, my current 20-year um, sojourn into studying micronutrients, minerals, and vitamins. Uh, was my third attempt to study nutrition and behavior. And the second attempt um, was in the 1980s, and I, I did publish a very good randomized control trial, I think. But after that, I was working with families, and and I reached a point where I... I went home and my poor husband is my sounding board and I just said, that's it. I am never, don't ever say never, by the way, <laughs> never going to study nutrition and mental health again or anything related to brain health because I can't stand interacting with fanatics. And what had happened that day was I was talking to, um, I tell the story so often, but it's absolutely true, talking to a mother who had been restricting the diet of her two sons, restricting the things they could eat. And it was getting more and more narrow until, I mean, it wasn't my doing, but I was concerned about their health. And I was sitting there and talking to her. And she said, Bonnie, I believe in nutrition. And I was dumbfounded. Mark, on a good day, I might believe in God. But nutrition is not a matter of faith. It's not something to believe in. And whoever <laughs> said vitamin D is a conspiracy theory, it's not something to be, have a theory about. Vitamin D just is. It's like saying there is air. We have to breathe it. There are nutrients. We have to consume them. It's well, not were, a religion. They were talking about the efficacy of, of vitamin D when they said it's a conspiracy theory. And it's, okay, even uh, the efficacy. It, it's yeah. just ridiculous. It is ridiculous, yeah. Now, um, on the cover of your book, it's Overcome Anxiety, Combat Depression, and Reduce ADHD with Stress and Nutrition. Um, now, this is the Trauma Recovery Podcast, and depression is ap- and anxiety are two of the major, major symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which mm-hmm. I prefer to call PTSI because it's more, um, it is an injury, it's not a disorder. And... Mm. Um, it's just more accurate, it's not because it makes me feel better. It's just more, <laughs> okay. it's just, just more accurate, post-traumatic yeah. stress, injury. Um, is, any of your research, um, I mean, it talks about the symptoms of PTSD that your research uh, shows efficacy for uh, through nutrition, but is there anything uh, specific to post-traumatic stress injuries that um, are, uh, has been covered in your research? Very much so. Mark, I should have quizzed you on how much you had read of the book before I let you interview me, but that's okay. It'll be fresh for you, okay? That's right. I don't, I don't um, need the book. I got you. That's right. <laughs> so here I am. No, in all seriousness, um, it, it's an area, I, I just don't understand why it's being ignored. This is why we wrote this book, because there is vast amount of research on the role of nutrients for a healthy brain. And that includes management of stress and depression and so forth. But um, in terms of PTSI, I'm going to use your term, okay? Um, There are a few things I could say. First of all, there is a very solid international scientific literature of about 8 to 10 randomized placebo-controlled trials showing that B-complex improves resilience in the face of stress. Now, most of those were done like in college students who were going into exam stress, that kind of thing. Not not serious stress, do you know what I mean? Not uh, major trauma. But some of it was done in terms of major trauma. And one was our study following the Southern Alberta flood. And I'll come back and tell you about that, okay? 
But in addition to B, I mean, B vitamins are so important for a healthy brain. They are, they are relevant in so many different pathways all over our brain function. And there's also very good literature now that they protect against dementia. So taking a B complex just once a day, always on a full stomach, I usually tell people to take it after breakfast, when you're going through times of stress, is definitely worth considering. However, having said that, there is no research or even anecdotes that taking a single B complex once a day uh, gets rid of, a, say, a generalized anxiety disorder or a, a really serious mental health crisis. So it improves resilience, but it doesn't kind of solve those problems. To to get into the impact on um, more serious, I hate to use the word serious, I mean, even just resilience in the face of stress is serious, right? But the, the bigger mental health problems, then you have to look at the research on broad spectrum micronutrients. And that means giving the brain not just the B complex, but all as many of the vitamins and minerals that your brain needs. That's is you want to give it that. And so the research that Julie and I have done in broad spectrum micronutrients using a couple of formulas developed here in Alberta, um, that has focused also one line of the research has focused on um, post trauma. So I don't know if you want me to go on or do you want to ask me questions? I I can go on on for a half hour. (laughs) You won't get to ask any questions though. It's okay. I'm listening. I I have eight questions, but uh, we'll get to them when, when when we're there, you know, we'll, we'll we'll cover what needs to be covered. Well, the, the whole line of research that Julia, mostly Julia, but I did a little bit of it um, that we report on in chapter, I've forgotten, I think it's seven. Um, was an accidental line of research that was triggered by the earthquakes in Christchurch. Now, Julia Rutledge is on, she's originally a Canadian. She was many, many years ago, she was my PhD student, which was great, but not studying nutrition. And then she, um, after a postdoc at Toronto Sick Kids Hospital, she went to University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand. And she now has the most active, not the only one, but the most active research program in the world on nutrition, nutritional treatment with supplementation to solve mental health problems. So what happened was... I'm just going to pause you for just a moment. Uh, Sure. With your earbuds, your your microphone keeps (gasps) keeps scraping against your sweater. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear that or not. I can't, and I if, and if, I maybe, gesture wildly. It's not the first a, time. If you if you if you pulled it away from your shirt just a bit like that, then it won't be scraping against your shirt. Oh, that's going to stay. Wait a minute. You got it. Okay, uh, yeah, twisting that. You're good. So you can you can hold it like that, or you can, or I think you've got it. Okay, you're good. Um, <laughs> feel free to interrupt me again. This is not the first time. I I never quite know how to handle it. It's okay. Sorry. You're doing okay. well. You're doing well. Okay. So what happened uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, which is where the University of Canterbury is, is a very unexpected, unpredicted, uh, serious earthquake happened in September of 2010. And what Julia Rutledge was doing at that moment in time 
was running a clinical trial, placebo-controlled clinical trial, in people, um, adults with ADHD and mood problems like anxiety and depression, uh, trying to determine if one of the Alberta formulas would be useful for helping with those problems. She didn't know an earthquake was going to come. And her description of what happened during that earthquake is one of the most dramatic. We have a lot of drama in that book. We have a lot of stories and a lot of anecdotes that are very dramatic. But that uh, first-person description of what it was like for her to live through that and try to uh, salvage her clinical trial is very interesting. But from a scientific viewpoint, what she learned was this. It turned out that during that earthquake, there were approximately 15 people in her clinical trial, who were taking this broad-spectrum micronutrient formula and approximately 15 people who, for whatever reason, were they were in a different stage of the study, they were not taking it. And so she evaluated how they coped with the stress of this really enormous earthquake. It liquefied the roads, it, you know, buildings tumbled down, etc., And what she found was that those who were taking this formula were so much more resilient that within four to six weeks, they had returned to a normal stage of um, depression and stress, etc. Whereas those who were not taking it took much longer. Anyway, that, uh, there were a series of studies that followed, and in one of them, because, <laughs> because Mother Nature then provided them with 8,000 aftershocks after that one major earthquake. So for five months, they had 8,000. They're earthquakes to us, but we call them aftershocks, you know, like over a three, over a four, etc. And then in February of 2011, they had a, another really major one which was shallow and destroyed a third of the downtown and killed a few hundred people in a very small city. And so there, for for many months, they had a really traumatized population. And so what she found, I'll, I'll summarize it simply if I can, was first of all, in one of the studies where she evaluated people for probable PTSD, and I have to use the D in this case because that's what the scale is called. Okay. Um, the, the group that were being evaluated went from about a 66% um, meeting PTSD criteria down to 19% in four to six weeks if they were given one of these micronutrient formulas. That's really big. I mean, that was – just think if our, if our um, troops who go into service who are anticipating the possibility of, of – um, serious crises, if they were pre-treated with micronutrients, their resilience would probably be much greater. Anyway, so that's the earthquake story, and it went through several studies and several months, and they're all published in the peer-reviewed scientific literature. And then, out of the blue, were you here in 2013, Mark, when we had our southern Alberta flood? Uh, I was. Okay, so Julia called me and said, Bonnie, go talk to Mayor Nenshi and tell him to make sure that people are given additional micronutrients, at least be complex, preferably broad spectrum, but do that. And after we both stopped laughing, because we knew that the government wouldn't pay any attention, and I'll prove that in a minute, um, we decided, well, then at least let's try to replicate the earthquake data. Now, she had a population that was, and first she started out with people with diagnoses, then the general population who were under five months of stress. 
Why did we have in Alberta? We had a population that was not under stress. A single day, a single event, and lots of well-meaning people like me who live, I live on a hill, so I was not flooded out. And I put on my boots and I put on my gloves and I took my shovel and I went to strangers' houses in High River and helped tear, you know, rotten um, drywall off and stuff like that. Lots of people did that because our houses were fine. So I didn't expect we'd find anything. But, you know, we exactly replicated the earthquake results. We showed that in four to six weeks, people who were given nutrients returned to below the clinical cutoffs for stress on various scales if they were given either a broad spectrum or a B complex. And that's what I said I'd return to later and tell you that what would happen uh, uh, if, if people just took a B complex. They were not a diagnosed population. You know, they weren't people who were being treated for mental disorders, but, excuse me, it had a very good impact. And by the way, there are no placebos possible in this kind of crisis research But we did always use what are called active comparators. And the active comparator we used, you'll laugh at this given our previous conversation, it was 1,000 IUs of vitamin D. And there's good reason to think that 1,000 IUs of vitamin D will be helpful. And indeed, the people got a little better, but, um, you know, they did not return to normal levels. What are your feelings on St. John's wort? Is there any efficacy to it? Um, So... That's a really interesting question. First of all, I've never been comfortable studying botanicals. I I think botanical, I've only studied vitamins and minerals because I can point in the brain, I can point to the biochemical pathways that require these vitamins and minerals. And by and large, we cannot do that with botanicals. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't explore botanicals, but they are very difficult. It's very difficult to know what, chemicals are in each individual batch and all of them are what are called polypharmacy like if i give you a vitamin d it's just vitamin d right but if i give you st john's wort it's lots of chemicals it's poly multiple pharmacy and and even if there is an effect we don't know you know really what's causing it so um I, you know, I, I think what the research shows is that some people get a little bit of benefit from depression, but it's not, of course, I don't believe in studying single magic bullets anyway. I, I think right. giving the brain all the nutrients that it needs, which doesn't right now, doesn't include St. John's wort. There's no proof of that, um, that that's the way to go. There's, from a consumer standpoint, it is so difficult to know what to get. Uh, there's vitamins all over the damn place at Costco and, and the supermarket, and there's gummies, and there's, uh, and, and yeah. no, nobody knows what to take. So what um, what should we avoid? Let's start there. Like, what is crap? Oh. Like, what about, like, uh, for um, modalities of, of, of ingestion, um, are the, the gummy vitamins? Uh, I, I, they're delicious, but I've been skeptical. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to give you a broader answer to what to avoid because the number one thing is uh, food with chemicals because it's no longer food. Ultra-processed stuff that some people call ultra-processed food, but it's really just products. That is a huge problem. Did you know that right now um, 
more than 50% of what Canadians put in our mouths, more than 50% is not food. It is ultra-processed stuff, which has the macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, but they're not the right fats and they're not the right carbohydrates. But it doesn't have, you know, there's very little in the way of micro micronutrients that we need for our brain pathways to work. What's a so good, that's the number one thing. What's a good example? Because I hear this all the time, avoid processed foods, but oh. I'm not overly sure what it means. Um, oh. I mean, I know what a processed cheese slice looks like, but yeah. um, but other than that, what are some of the um, more popular processed foods and what makes them processed? Like, how do they earn that title? Okay. Um I'll try to give you a short answer to this. Uh, <laughs> if you pick up a package of cookies or, or chips or, or um, even meat where they, uh, you know, it's, it's in the frozen food section, it's, it's uh, fish or chicken sticks, it's got sugar and preservatives and stuff like that, um, you might as well, Julia has said this, you're better off eating the package because at least then you're getting fiber, right? But from inside, you're, you're just not getting anything. The sweetened cereals, the ultra-sweetened sweet, cereals, go take a look at the amount of um, micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. They're so trivial, they don't even count. There may be two or three of them at microscopic levels. That's what ultra-processed is. But, you know, it's a continuum, Mark. Some processing is okay and, in fact, has, um, after World War II, increased our di- improved our diet. Like people who could never get uh, peas could now eat frozen peas, and the only processing was just the freezing. Um, or maybe some things might have just a bit of preservative. That's why it's, we're so much taller now. Yeah. In World War II, people were freaking short, you know, and uh, yeah. we're, like, we, we're several inches taller than we were just 60 years ago. That's right. And it's, it is a big reason why a lot of people from developing countries um, never grow to their full height potential. In the north part because, of North Korea, and yeah. I just listened to this on Dr. Peterson's podcast, he was speaking with an escapee from North Korea. And most of the men are under five feet tall. Because really? they're they're starving, they have no nutrients. Yes. They're eating. Right. They're literally eating bugs for nutrients. It's all they got. Yeah. So if that's true for their height, think about their brain. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's really frightening because this is the greediest organ in your body. It's not your muscles. It's not your bones. It's your brain. So, how much does your brain consume? I mean, of of the food that you eat, it was it was right in the first ten pages of your book. It's like yeah. what. 70%, like what is it, 50% of everything we eat, your brain consumes it? Uh, the, it's hard to estimate it was 20 to 50%, but but it, the thing you need to do is compare that to the size of your brain. Uh-huh. Your brain weighs about a kilogram. Now, I'm guessing you weigh more than 50 kilos, or no, I don't know how tall I you know. are. I'm a buck 80, whatever that is in kilos. <laughs> whatever it is, yeah, I know, we're still using pounds. At any rate, <clears throat> you are, without a doubt, um, you know, if, you're, if your brain is maybe um, 5% at the most, oh, it wouldn't even be that for an adult. I have to go do the math. It's a trivial size. You know, our brains fit in the, our, the palms of our hands. So we are much bigger than that. And yet when we're children, we're taught to eat right, to build strong bones and muscles. We should be taught um, you should eat right, and we can talk about what that means. You should feed your brain. 
that's the most important thing. And especially for I'm a senior, so I'm seeing it in seniors. The research on predictors of dementia are it's becoming more and more apparent that the the secret to avoiding dementia is feeding your brain and exercising and having family and support and everything too. Now, dementia is an encephalitis, in other words, holes in the brain. So um, does broad-spectrum nutrients help against other encephalitis? Uh, Like there's dementia, there's Alzheimer's. With broad-spectrum nutrients, does it it protect against that as well? Um, First of all, no one has studied a broad-spectrum formula for... um, to prevent, you know, lower the risk of dementia. But people have studied a dietary pattern, and dietary pattern has uh, predicts risk factors for mental health, dementia, suicide even. Excellent long-term data from Japan on that. That, that eating right, again, so that your brain is well-fed, actually uh, predicts a 50% lower risk of suicide in the general population. It's, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but suicide in Japan is, uh, I mean, they have a, this special forest that people go in and they end their life in this forest. And mm. um, it's, it's cultural. It's, it's different. Because, yeah. of, because of committing seppuku, there's a, there's a um, cultural acceptance of suicide that's different. But is there more to it than that? Is there a reason why the suicide rate in Japan is as high as it is? Or is that outside of your scope? That is outside my scope. I don't think I could answer that well. All right. It's interesting, though. Uh, in ancient Japan, um, there was no word for menopause in women. And it was because of the diet. It was because of what they were eating. Is uh, That's going to be interesting, too, if, uh, <laughs> if women mm. don't have to suffer through menopause if they have the right nutrients. It would make sense based on mm. in ancient Japan. I, are you sure it isn't that we we can get into a philosophical thing here? You've just told me something I didn't know before, but I'm wondering about your attribution of the cause. Is it possible it's because women didn't live past 50? I don't know. In ancient Japan? I mean, that certainly was true in our society. You know, our life expectancy used to be such that we would pass away before menopause really hit the majority of the population. In the reading I did, it was um, linked to Western diet. And then once their diet changed, men, uh, menopause became a thing. So, I mean, causation mm-hmm. doesn't equal, I mean, correlation, causation, I get it. You know, yeah. uh, one is uh, suggestive of another, not indicative. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but thought I'd throw that out there. I'm, I'm yeah. f- falling off the track a little bit here. Interesting. Could I add one more thing about the trauma Please. research? Um there's one more step that Julia did that I think your audience might be particularly interested in. After we did the earthquake research and the flood research, there were the massacres in the two mosques in Christchurch in 2000, I'm going to say the year wrong, 18, I think, or 19. And um, she, through one of her um, uh, Muslim uh, postdocs, I think, became aware of people who had survived that. Over 50 people were killed when a, uh, a, you know, a white supremacist went to two mosques and just started shooting. And, and quite a few people who survived were severely traumatized by it. 
And so as a clinical effort, they began handing out the broad spectrum micronutrients that they had been studying in the earlier studies and then asked people to keep track of their symptoms as just part of clinical management. It wasn't an ethics-approved placebo-controlled trial, et cetera. But the results completely mirrored everything that we had shown in the previous studies, earthquakes and floods. And so um, the reason I think that's interesting is that, first of all, maybe there are some Americans listening to this, and you they have these mass shootings every single day down there now, and people should be given additional nutrients. They will cope better with it. And then additionally, I know the people who have been in other kinds of trauma involving guns and so forth, um, maybe, maybe, I mean, we're trying to get some research going, maybe if they were treated more quickly with micronutrients, they would become more resilient more quickly. Well, I'm going to do do everything I can to try to get you a consulting gig with the military because um, our our meal in a box, uh, we call them IMPs in the States, they're MREs, and they're the boil-in-the-bag meals. Um, They're calories. That's that's all they are. And uh, they're... (laughs) They got a lifespan um, <laughs> longer than my car, <laughs> and uh, uh, they're they're just calories. So at the very least, if they were um, uh, supplemented and, and had a uh, some B complex micronutrients that uh, are Bonnie approved, mm. you know that would just be so so important. Um, the the benefits would be vast to have that just added to the IMPs at, at a bare minimum. And when they're in garrison and not in the field, um, having that uh, supplied, you'd have a much healthier, much stronger, much more resilient military. Yeah. And I'd like to also teach people what that's doing in their brain and show them the stuff in Chapter 2. Just once people see that the all these micronutrients that they've heard of vitamins and minerals, they've heard of them, that that you can actually see in the metabolic pathways in the brain where you have to have them every single minute of every day. It it changes your attitude about what you put in your mouth, I think. That's what I'm told. Uh, Going back to my question about gummies. uh, Yeah, oh, gummies. What what is, like, (laughs) uh, so chewables, gummies, my favorite, or or liquid under the tongue or capsules, like what's the best way? What's the best pathway? There's no simple answer to that, Mark. Uh, first of all, the gummies are really kind of candy, and, and you're probably getting a lot of Delicious. artificial ingredients that you don't need <laughs> with them. I'm not going to tell you they're bad for you. But by the way, all of the over-the-counter stuff that are based on RDA, do you know where we got the RDA or RNI um, Excuse me, levels from? People think that if they just get, uh, what is it, I don't know, what I never remember the numbers, 30 milligrams of vitamin C a day, then they'll be fine. That comes from you guys in the service oh. in World War II. Um, and I think some maybe have came from World War I, I'm not sure. But at any rate, the, um, they set the RDA by the amount of nutrients that it took to keep soldiers marching <laughs> the energy to march and fight nothing about optimal brain function probably didn't even care about brain function too much right just keep those soldiers fighting that's what we needed to do 
And they became rigidified. And people think that that's the amount we need for optimal health, physical and mental. And nothing could be further from the truth. They are, the RDA, RDRNIs are, are quite tiny. And, and the fact is I can't even, we have no tests to tell you what each individual person needs. But this is what we can tell you. And that is that nobody, we have not even heard anecdotally, and I'm talking about all the nutrition and mental health researchers I know around the world, we have never heard of anybody solving a depression or anxiety or ADHD mental health problem with an over-the-counter multivitamin mineral formula. They just, the, the, the doses, they're too tiny. They're not bad for you. And I mean, there are lots of reasons why people should take some of them because, um, you know, insurance policy, etc. Just don't expect um, a mental health therapeutic effect from them. Now, in your book, uh, right off the bat, you named two companies. It was one company, then they split, and then they became two companies. Um, uh, is there are they the only two that have quality vitamins? Like, where, where, oh no, there's where, where oh, there are lots them? that have quality, but they are the only two so far that have independent scientists who have studied them. So, they're the ones where there's a body of peer-reviewed scientific research. Um, in for mental health. Now, in Chapter 11, uh, we do go through others, especially several from Europe where there's research, and one from Arizona, from the States, that's been studied in people with autism. Okay. Um, Mark, can, can you go on pause for one minute? Uh, it doesn't really have a pause. Oh, okay. All right. Then I'll have to deal with that later. Someone who was on their way here, but they can ring the doorbell and I can ignore it. That's okay. Um, so there, there's nothing wrong, but there are some very good quality formulas out there and very responsible um, companies, but they are, but you cannot expect to really fix or resolve serious mental health problems unless you go to a higher dose. The, the formulas that we have studied are, um, and again, nobody who has studied these formulas has ever let the companies fund the research or pay for any of our research assistance or anything. We want nothing to do with that conflict of interest. But um, we actually want more companies to let us study their formulas. And, and mostly they reject the idea of research. Uh, and I tell the story in there of I approached one company. I felt like I was becoming too identified with these Alberta companies. And that's why people kept saying, oh, you work for them. And, and that wasn't the case. But I can only say uh, say you, that you, so you, often. I you, thought you maybe if I can only comment on what it. you've actually studied. And you can only exactly. study what you're allowed to study. Exactly. So I went to that company. I can't remember where we described this, but it's happened to Julia too. And when I got to the head of their scientific division, I said, explain what I was studying and I'd like to study their formula. Would they be interested? And there was this dead silence for a moment. And then he said, why would we do that? We're making money. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's the difference. And, and that's why we tell, we weren't sure we should do this, but our editor said we should do it. We told the story of the families who developed the Alberta formulas because um, they were not driven to make money. They were driven to solve mental illness in their families. 
And, um, but they would very much like there to be more formulas. Now, there is another one that is a spinoff, um, but I can't talk about it or couldn't include okay. it in the book yet because there are no studies on it yet. There's some in progress, but none done. Well, what, we, what you put in the book, and by the way, for the listeners, this is a brand new book. It just got published. Last uh, month. Just last month. So um, I will put the names and links. I'll, I'll Google them and, and it'll be in the show notes, which will be published uh, June 3rd, 2021, which is tomorrow, uh, relevant to this recording date. So I will put uh, the links of the companies that you mentioned in the book so that people know where to go so that they don't get ripped off with uh, stuff that, you know, is just... Um, Ma- magical powders and potions and lotions, you know, mm-hmm. get the good stuff that's actually been studied. Um, I want to talk about how you were treated in the media. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me a bit, bit, about, bit about that. Well, personally, both the companies and I were dragged through the mud. It's hard to um, hear you now because the microphone is oh, so far away. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I pulled your, out the wrong one. I was mic- trying to decrease the the external noise. Um, so, uh, yeah, both the companies and I were dragged through the mud and, and it still happens. And Julia has been attacked and, you know, there are people out there who, who think that they are God's gift to the public and they're going to expose every scam and fraud. And they think the only way to treat mental health problems is medication. Um, you know, we're not anti-medication. We make that very clear in our book. We just think that medication should be the supplement and that improved diet should be number one. We are diet-first people, even though we have been focusing on, I always say that my, my career was a proof of principle because it's easier to study adding nutrients in pill form. Well, I would say but that the medication one. is a Band-Aid, uh, nutrition is a cure. That's a pretty big difference. Uh, yeah, we don't use the word cure, but you can. You know why we don't use the word cure? The people with really serious mental health problems, like we tell um, a couple of stories in there, of people we followed for more than 10 years, and uh, hallucinations went away, psychosis went away, etc., and explosive rage. Um, if they stop taking the nutrients, they, some of those symptoms start to reemerge. If I stop and drinking water, I get dehydrated. That's right. <laughs> That's a very good point, Mark. But we think in these cases, when people, especially when people have mental disorders running in the family or vulnerability to mental health challenges, that what is inherited is an unusually large need for micronutrients, more than they're able to get from their food. Bonnie? I'm going to have all this in the show notes uh, for, for links and, and, and everything else, but I think we're about there. And uh, I think we're going to have to do this again and have you back on the show again. Now, you have an upcoming event. Let's, uh, let's, let's close with that, with the World Health Summit something-something. Oh, I think that one is one that's over. Oh, that's already that, the, the one with Russell, one the one with Russell Brand. Oh, yeah, that one's over. Oh, okay. That, already Sorry, came- that was a couple of weeks ago. But there's another event locally I'd like to mention, perhaps, okay, sure. if I could. Um, we're doing a uh, discussion of the book um, through, I'm going to check the date. I think it's Monday, July 5th. Is that a Monday? Um, at uh, the Owl's Nest, which in Calgary is a private independent bookstore. 
And if you would go to my website and connect with me or connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn or um, what else am I on Instagram or Twitter, um, we'll be announcing it soon that on July 6th, we'll be discussing the book, interviewing it. And I'm, I think Julia will be on the call too. Sometimes it's hard with the time zone differences, you know, with New Zealand, but I think we'll get her on that one. Sure. And what is your website? Under that one. Uh, my website is bonniejkaplan.com. All right. And I will, uh, I'll find that and I will throw that in the show notes as well. Okay. And right. um, did, just last question, did you get to actually meet Russell Brand? Uh, no, no. Why, is he a hero of yours? Well, not, I don't have heroes. Uh, oh, okay. But, 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 <laughs> um, but he is, uh, uh, he's a heck of a guy. I, I am a fan. I do enjoy, uh, he's got such a brilliant mind. It's unbelievable. I don't he think, has. I don't think he's lacking too many multi, uh, broad spectrum nutrients for that melon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. He's just, it doesn't matter if you, if I agree with him or not. Sometimes I really don't, but. Um, but it, I just love listening to, to him talk anyway. He's just such an active, active mind he has. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, we were each on individually. Um, and, uh, Julie and I were interviewed for the book on it, which was a huge privilege. And Deepak Chopra, of course, was a co-sponsor, but these are people you kind of meet, but you're in different periods of time on the, on the summit. Well, if you're lucky, you'll get on um, Russell Brand's podcast. It is a whopper. It's huge. So if you have have a way of reaching out to him, I've reached out to him. And uh, he told me to pound salt. uh, Well, his people very, very politely said, uh, extremely politely, actually, and kindly said said no. But uh, if you could try to get on his uh, podcast, your, your book will go through the roof. Well, I'll speak to our publicists. Thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure to be on yours, by the way, Mark. Maybe maybe you're not as big as he is, but it's really, I know your interest, and I think it's great what you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.